We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Fred Maz Jr. He is the founder and CEO of Maz Travels. He is a passionate and recognized leader in the international disability community and in corporate America and is a renowned champion for diversity and inclusion. Fred and I know each other from mentoring programs that I've facilitated at Comcast. Fred was a loyal volunteer mentor every year we offered the program. What I appreciate most about you, Fred, is your kind spirit coupled with a tenacious drive. You are a great example of strong, approachable, and generous leadership. Welcome to ROG, Fred. Thank you very much, Shannon. It's it's a pleasure to be here and uh, really appreciate uh, the time given today. Oh, my pleasure. And I really am looking forward to sharing your wisdom with our listeners so we could get to know more about your organization and the things that you have experienced and just how you've seen generosity in the workplace and in life. But why don't we start with a little bit of your background? Well, how far back do you want to go? Uh, <laughs> um, so a little bit about me. Um, I, I had a diving accident when I was 18, just literally just days before starting college. And this was 10 years before the Americans with Disabilities Act. So if you can imagine, uh, back then, not many things were accessible uh, and adapted for people with disabilities. So I spent about seven months uh, in the hospital, uh, a month at Thomas Jefferson in Philadelphia, and then followed by six months at McGee Rehab for intensive physical therapy. But when I got out, the college that I was going to attend was not accessible. And um, it, it just so happened, luckily, a friend of mine was the dean of a local college. It was Back then, it was uh, Widener University's Delaware campus. And she said to me, listen, why don't you come and take some summer courses and help us adapt the campus? We've never had anybody with a disability come to college here and see how we do. Um, well, first of all, I was shocked that they've never had anybody with a disability go, but I was also very happy to uh, to do that. So uh, did that, uh, took summer courses, adapted the campus, uh, not just for me, but for future students and enrolled uh, full-time in the fall and went on to get my degrees. I spent, uh, gosh, over 30 years as a corporate executive for Fortune 100 Fortune 50 and Fortune 30 companies, all the while building my reputation and expertise as not only a, a disability advocate, but um, really being asked to speak on stages around the world as an internationally recognized uh, disability champion. So while I was doing this and, and just part of my job, uh, it felt like I was on a plane about every other week. And the entire disability space, the disability community was really my passion. And so finally, I, I, in early 2019, I, I went to my boss uh, and said, listen, I, I've got to go. I've got to do this. I've got to do this full time. And he fully supported me. Uh, I started my consulting business uh, in the summer of 2019. Uh, and then since then, I've partnered with a couple of companies uh, to expand the services that we provide internationally. So that's what we're doing. We're, we 
we we do a lot of collaboration and work uh, with other companies and, and other individuals around the world, really just to level the playing field, to provide opportunities uh, uh, and equal access for everyone. And, and that's, uh, that's, that's part of my utopia. And we'll talk about that. Yes. I, I really want to learn more about that and share that with our listeners, the kind of work that you are doing now. Tell us a little bit about disabilities in the workplace. What can you teach us about the unemployment rate for people with disabilities and the accessibility or the lack thereof in some cases? Sure. So I'll give you a a personal example of my experience. So I mentioned uh, that my accident, I had a diving accident uh, 10 years before the Americans with Disabilities Act. My first job, my first real job, other than working construction in the summers for my dad, uh, my first real job was, it, it started in 1982. Um, I was, it went to a job fair uh, for a bank that had moved out of Philadelphia, actually their credit card division to Delaware um, from Philly and got hired on the spot at the job fair. And they said, when can you start? I said, Monday. <laughs> and uh, got to my office, and my office was on the second floor of a two-story building that had no elevator. Very quickly, I became very good friends with two very strong men who every day, when I would commute from my morning classes at college to work, they would carry me chair and all up the stairs to my office. And that was when accessible bathrooms and lunch and everything else or dinner was on the ground floor on the first floor. So um, they got really good Christmas presents. And so that was my personal experience of the lack of accessibility uh, prior to the Americans with Disabilities Act. And then when the act was um, signed into law, things started to change. Things became more accessible. And um, it, it, enough, each of the major companies that I worked for, it seemed like um, that I, it seemed like I was the first person with a, at least a visible disability they would come to me and ask, yeah, how do we do this? Or how can we help you do that? And what type of access you need? And they're very accommodating. And then we, we look at what happened through COVID. You know, so when I'm on stages, especially over the past two years um, at different places around the world, and people ask me about, well, what about COVID? What has that done to people with disabilities? Now, there's a really bad downside to what happened with COVID medically, but from an employment perspective, the silver lining for people with disabilities is the taboo of working from home goes away. It's a, it's a null point anymore. But what did COVID teach us? Millions of people around the world suddenly were thrown into a situation that they're working remotely. Oh my God. And guess what? Companies loved it. And how many of these employees don't want to go back to their offices? And how many employers are saying, okay, that's great with us. You've shown that you you've shown that you can do the work. You've shown that you can be productive. We're good with that. So what I tell employers is I I don't want to hear anymore that the working from home option is off the table. Oh, thank you. There's so much in what you just said that we want to learn more about. Let's go back to the bank that you started working for two years after your accident and these incredible people who enabled you to get up the stair. They carried you in your wheelchair up to the second story. And then, like you said, the meals and otherwise was on the first floor. So that was like a full-time job. How did that come to pass? And really even how did you learn how to ask for help? Because I think some of us are really bad at that. 
Sure. Um, I, I, you know, it's it's interesting when you when you are a person with a disability, you almost immediately become a project manager because you literally have to plan your days um, probably a little bit differently than other people. You're getting up probably earlier in the day to get ready for your daily routine. My boss came to me and said, how do you want to do this? And I said, well, if you've got two really strong guys, you know, it, it, this can be easy and I'll help you. I'll show you how. You know, once I think you approach things, uh, the way that I approach things um, is uh, to be kind and, and, and ask questions or ask for help when you need it. Um, I, I think many people struggle with what is the right thing to say to a person with a disability? Do I ask them if they need help? Do I just help them, uh, et cetera? And so I think really not only is it a lot of self-advocating and, and asking for help when you need it, but also it's on us as people with disabilities to help educate others uh, about the best way uh, to not only ask us if we need help, but really just to communicate with us sometimes. Yeah. Oh, thank you for explaining that and encouraging all of us to ask, o- offer to help if we witness someone with a disability who might need help. And then they can tell us if they want help and if so, what kind of help we can offer. So I think that's really an encouraging line of thinking for those who are considering hiring people with disabilities. I mean, could you just say a little bit more about the benefits of hiring people with disabilities? Because I think there are some myths around that and you're helping us dispel some of them. Um, certainly. And, and there are a lot of myths. Um, so again, people with disabilities are literally the largest demographic in the world. There are about 1.4 billion people with disabilities around the world. Um, we we cross over every demographic, um, and you know we—it's it, it, a weird thing. But in the disability community, say we don't discriminate. Um, you know, every other demographic uh, is is a part of our demographic. Um, but that said, we're also the most underrepresented and underemployed or unemployed demographic um, because of all of the the stigmas that have been attached to us. Um, you know, when it comes to again reliability, productivity, absentee rate, uh, et cetera, all of those myths have to be dispelled because uh, it's been proven that people with disabilities are the most loyal employees. So they're most, they're most likely to stay with an employer. They have the lowest, lowest uh, time out of the office. They also have some of the higher productivity rates. And especially when you get into very specific disabilities um, that more and more studies are showing that people who are neurodiverse, uh, people on the autism spectrum um, are, are very good at very specific tasks. And more and more companies are realizing that and hiring people who are on the spectrum for very intricate, very specific tasks maybe involving uh, numbers or a, a very specific repetitive procedure. Um, so again, you know, this large, this huge uh, untapped resource is, is right there. And the unemployment rate still remains um, almost double of, of everyone else. So we have to do something about that. Employers need to make accommodations for that population. And the time to do it is now. And we can't wait to make these accommodations. We have to be prepared now um, because it's, it's always better to, to be prepared 
in advance of something versus trying to uh, retrofit something. When we come back, Fred will share advice and recommendations about how organizations can become more inclusive in their design for all. Hello, I'm Marianne Newell, Assistant Director of College Support at St. Joseph University's Kinney Center for Autism Education and Support. Located in Philadelphia, the Kinney Center has a twofold mission to educate and train the autism professionals of tomorrow while supporting and serving individuals and families affected by autism today. I'm part of the Aspire College Support Team, helping St. Joseph's University students with autism achieve collegiate success through social and executive functioning support. Learn more about our services by visiting sju.edu slash k-i-n-n-e-y. And we're back with more from Fred Maz Jr. You're saying that when we hire people with disabilities, we better represent the communities that we serve in our organizations. What are some of the things that you would recommend companies think about to make their workspaces more accessible? And what are some of the maybe even low-hanging fruit that they could consider? Well, first of all, it's always important for anyone when they are planning some type of, of projects, construction project, building, et cetera, to include people with disabilities in the planning process, right? So if we want to, you know, um, use the word inclusion here, uh, which which a lot of people are, are doing that a lot more these days, you know, trying to be diverse, trying to be inclusive. You know, we want to make sure that people with disabilities are at the table and they're part of the decision-making process. They're not an afterthought. My work and, and what I do, I cover all disabilities, as many as I can in, in, my, in my process and the work that we do and the consulting that we do. So I think, again, going back to your question, it's important for architects, city planners, um, people who are, are building projects uh, to think of it from the best ways from a universal design perspective. So no matter what is built, everyone benefits. If you think of it this way, when the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed almost 32 years ago, you know, suddenly you started to see curb cuts, uh, you know, at street corners, and suddenly you started to see ramps. Using those, just those two examples, think about how many other people benefit from just those two things. There are so many benefits that everybody realizes um, from a universal design mindset and a universal design approach. That's where we need to get to. Yeah, that's that for all mentality, the for all leadership, the for all accessibility, the for all organizations. I think that's a really important combination of words for us to think about, you know, am I creating this for all? Is this something that would be accessible and relatable and and accommodating to all people? And and then like you're saying, there's multiple benefits when we make those changes and improvements in physical spaces or emotional spaces, workspaces. Um, so you decided to start a business Really, I think a passion project, right? Something that you're passionate about is travel and you wanted to create an organization and multiple organizations really that support all. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, Fred, and and what your intentions are with it. Sure. So in the summer of 2019, I started my consulting business uh, and, and think of it as, uh, in some ways, as an umbrella. So providing 
consulting services to to businesses, governments, uh, et cetera, around the world for disability etiquette, disability services training, uh, showing companies how they can recruit, hire, uh, train, coach uh, employees with disabilities. In addition to that, and, and really a lot of that goes to all of the travel that I did during my corporate career, finding that so many places were not accessible, but should be. And then taking it a step further, um, diving into all the business reasons why places should be accessible. So part of my business also focuses on showing ministries of tourism, governments, convention and visitors bureaus, et cetera, that if you can accommodate people with disabilities, your tourism revenues are going to increase dramatically. So one statistic uh, for you is, I mentioned there are about 1.4 billion, with a B, people in the world that have some type of disability. And, And as we know, that number will grow as we're living longer. That's just the numbers that are reported. I, I do believe that number is higher. So you take that number and that population, this, the other stigma that's attached to the disability population is that people with disabilities are poor. Well, in fact, that population alone, us, our people with disabilities, have well over $5 trillion, with a T, dollars in disposable income for travel and entertainment alone globally. But they're only spending about 43% of it because places are either not accessible or if they are accessible, they're not promoting it. So you're leaving trillions of dollars on the table. So what I'm telling hoteliers and others that I meet around the world, listen, wouldn't you like 10% of that? Wouldn't you like 1% of that? For minimal accommodations, and the average accommodation, by the way, costs less than $500, and in the U.S., it's a business expense, so it's a write-off. Why wouldn't you do it? It makes all the sense in the world to make your place of business accessible. So that's part of the business. And then um, another part of my business, I, I um, started partnering with um, a, a lady out of Canada who started a travel, essentially a travel agency um, in Canada, uh, headquartered in Canada that um, provides accessible and inclusive travel for anyone, regardless of of ability, around the world. But if you have a special requirement, special need, or have a disability where you need things like caregivers or accessible transportation or oxygen or dialysis or whatever it may be, we work with our network of suppliers and vendors around the world to make sure that all of your personal needs are met during your trip. So not only are we working with you on your itinerary for your tickets, we're also working with you on your personal needs. We're the only company that does it globally. Um, We consider ourselves, for anyone listening to this, as a great resource for businesses. So if you have a need for, if you have employees who have disabilities, or maybe their family members have disabilities, why not use us as a resource for your travel needs for those individuals? And then the third part of my business, um, working very closely with uh, a magazine. The owner uh, is from Grenada and now lives in Vancouver, also in, in, in Canada, as the editor of Melange Accessibility for All. We launched that magazine. It's a digital quarterly magazine in October of 2020. 
Um, and I did a, I have to say, I did a great story on my good friend and mentor, Tony Coelho, former congressman, co-authored the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, we put him on the cover and we launched it in October for International Day of Persons with Disabilities Employment Awareness Month. Uh, the magazine is now read in 64 countries with about 1.4 million readers. It's growing. And in fact, Chad, um, month of March, we're launching our third magazine called Accessible Journeys. And we'll focus fully on uh, accessible places uh, around the world. And you'll hear stories not only from myself, but from travel authors and travel bloggers from all over. Uh, So really, um, you know, approaching this, uh, you know, head on, collaborating with lots of people around the world to uh, just make the world, you know, accessible for all. I, I say this, all the time in my speaking engagements, my utopia is someday we're not going to be having this conversation because access just is people with disabilities just are, and everything is normalized. You know, people with disabilities aren't the others. We're not, you know, a, a slice of the demographic. We're, we're just part of society and not thought of differently. That's where we need to get to. Totally agree. And with friends, colleagues, and clients who have attempted business travel with a physical disability and hearing the heartbreaking stories of how long it takes them to do this research, and then when they get there, it still isn't what they said, and they're Google searching images to see if there's, you know, ramps, and just all of that that heavy lift you take off of people, you give them these opportunities. And then these other resources that you've designed and participated in are more ways for people with disabilities to find avenues toward recreation and business travel and other fulfilling things, but also for people to educate themselves on what they can do to create more accessible environments. So I really appreciate this from every angle and the thoughtfulness involved with it and how you're taking your lived experience and your network of people who want to contribute to these things and sharing it with others in such a productive way. So all of our guests share a favorite quote or mantra. What is one of yours, Fred? One of mine, geez, um, never let anybody tell you that you can't. And I will, I'll go back to the, the, literally the first few days of when I was in the hospital, you know, literally right before they, my surgery, because of the level of my break, I, I'm, a, um, I'm, I'm classified as a C7-8, which means um, I shattered my seventh vertebrae and I'm incomplete. Incomplete meaning that I did not sever my spinal cord, but I damaged it, I bruised it. But because of the, the the level of my break, because it was so high, I'm classified medically as a quadriplegic. But functionally, I, I'm able to use my hands, my fingers, et cetera, um, and everything from chest up. And so I function as a paraplegic. But the doctors kept coming in for the first three days and saying, literally saying this to me. And these these were the top doctors at at at, uh, at Jefferson. You know, by the book, you shouldn't be able to do this. By the book, you you shouldn't be able to do that. You know, and they kept saying that. Well, by the third day, I got so tired of hearing 
about the book and what I shouldn't be able to do, I finally told my doctor, I said, doc, do me a favor. I said, let's throw away the book. Let's focus on what I can do and what I want to do versus what I shouldn't be able to do. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, you're exactly right. Yes. Oh, so powerful, Fred. And to think, and that's your quote. <laughs> so, you know, the quotations here, never let anyone tell you you can't by Fred Moss Jr. Um, that's something that we all need to think about ourselves. And sometimes we're the ones telling us that we can't. So I would like for you to just share with us when you've had to get yourself out of your own way. You know, I, I think it was, gosh, um, if we want to relate this to um, the time period where I was thinking of leaving a, a my corporate career, my very long corporate career, uh, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed the people that I worked with, um, the work that I was doing. But taking that leap of faith to say, you know what, I, I want to do more. And I want to do it on my own. And I think probably many people go through this. Um, you know, it's all the what ifs. But you have to get past the what ifs and, and have enough belief in yourself that you can do it. And take that leap of faith and, and put all that you have and all that you want to be into it. and just Yes, do it. yes. And I've seen you do that in so many ways. Well, thank you for investing your time and energy, sharing your life experience and your stories with us, Fred. I'm so deeply grateful for you. Well, right back at you. I mean, listen, uh, I, I, I look at you and I think of you and all of the people that you've, you've coached and mentored you know, over the years and whose, whose lives and, and their trajectories are different. They're better uh, because of the, the intervention that they've had with you. and. That says a lot. And that's um, if you took a step back and, and just thought about that for a second, it's that's pretty powerful. Oh, thank you for that, Fred. ROG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Fred offered many things for us to think differently about and ways to be for all leaders. Here are four ways to think differently. Number one, use your lived experience to help others. What are some of the things that you have recognized, barriers that you've seen, and obstacles that you know need to be reduced or eliminated? How can you participate in that progress? One small change I have made is to add closed captions to this ROG podcast. Other recommendations you have for how to make ROG or my organization bridge between more inclusive, please share with me. Number two, think differently about who we is. When you say we, who do you mean? As we'll hear next week with Sharon Browning, we must be defined as the planet and all living things on it. That's for all leadership in the greatest sense. For many of us, that's a big shift. We otherwise might define we as our family, friends, people we like. We may even differentiate we from they by who other people voted for or who has different religious beliefs. We can't afford to play that small anymore. Let's zoom in closer to our personal environments. Is your workplace set up for all? Is your home set up for all? Is your mindset set up for all? 
Who do you include in your definition of we? The number three way to think differently is beliefs about people with disabilities. In episode 78 with Tiffany Yu, she reminds us that disability is not a bad word. Our entire Accessible Voices series, episodes 52 to 56, reiterated what Fred shared. People with disabilities are people. They are talented. They are project managers. They are tenacious. They are loyal. They are overcomers, respectable, champions, and people to admire. Recognize the toxicity of ableism and let's all become more appreciative of people with disabilities. And the number four way to think differently is don't let anyone tell you you can't, including you. What is something that you really want to do, experience, or learn? What if you committed to that thing? What if you decided that the answer is yes? It starts with conviction and clarity. Think about the one thing that you will commit to and not let anyone tell you that you can't. Think, I can, I will, and I must. Let's see how that changes your life. The four things that we can start to think differently about, thanks to Fred, is number one, use your lived experience to knock down or minimize barriers for others to participate. Number two, expand your definition of we to be for all. Number three, bust the myths associated with disability for yourself and others. And number four, don't let anyone tell you you can't. Please join us next week with Sharon Browning. Until then, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.